It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast. The podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. Celebrating a beautiful result earlier in midweek. And now we're celebrating St. Patrick's Day, aren't we, Peter? Happy St. Patrick's Day. Great moment. Yeah, what a, what a, what a, what a, what a week, I suppose, for Albion. Absolutely. And a happy day today for all Patricks, I'm, I'm sure, everywhere, uh, unless any one of them has been sacked on St. Patrick's Day. Say, for example, uh, I don't know, the Palace manager, Patrick Vieira, for example. I mean, couldn't they have sacked him yesterday or something? Come on. It's a brutal irony, isn't it? Maybe it's lost on them. I think they knew that once March told on the 15th minute, on the 15th of March, they had to get rid of Patrick Vieira on St. Patrick's Day. You know, it's like, it was, it was written in the stars. Yeah, and we've only just had the new Solly March Day as well, which, of course, used to be the, um, what was it, the 22nd, was it? Yeah. Uh, something like that. And it's now the 7th, of course. It's his shirt number day. Um, then we had that. Then we had, as you said, 15th minute Solly March scores, and then on the 15th of March, and now St. Patrick's Day, 17th of March, Patrick Vieira has been sacked after a run of 12 games without a win, they, which means they haven't won this year at all, this calendar year. And they did, however, achieve two things, a much better performance. They actually looked pretty good in the first 10 minutes of this match. And secondly, they also achieved, during that phase of play, a first shot on target in four games. Congratulations to a stumbling, but no longer tumbling on this occasion, Mr. Tumble, Wilfred Zaha, who, on the angle, with no real chance of scoring, did did get a good shot in, to be honest. Um, But it was saved by Jason Steele and no harm done. Um, Yeah, I mean... It was probably due, wasn't it, the sacking? Do you think? I mean, he's... I think it was the shot on target was due. <laughs> no, that wasn't due. That was that was outrageous. We shouldn't have let that happen. Um, what, what do you think? Do you think they should have given him more time? They were trying to play a different brand of football and it wasn't working recently, at least. Yeah, it's, I think a lot will depend. Uh, you know, hindsight will be a great thing about whether they should do it or not, I suppose. The, the list of people who they're talking about maybe having it on in the betting list is not exactly inspiring. I mean, Roy Hodgson's the favourite which is hardly exactly inspiring. But I suppose the argument is to get the best out of that team for 10 games, he probably knows more than anyone else what to do. And then hope they hope to get enough points. I mean, he's still got all eight teams below them to play in their last 11 games. 
which is quite phenomenal. It shows you actually, to be fair, how tough a run they've had since the World Cup, in fairness. Um, but yeah, I mean, they obviously were, I didn't go on Wednesday because train issues and I wasn't sure about what I was going to get back afterwards. But from what I saw of the highlights, they looked a lot better than they did at Selhurst, where they basically didn't have a shot again on target all day, except for when we basically gave to them. Yeah, and they did peck us back in the later stages of the game as well. So um, it, it was certainly a better performance from them. And it was pleasing that we didn't play as well as we have done in other games, and yet we did get the result. So I wouldn't call it a taste of their own medicine because they didn't dominate the game, but it, it felt at least somewhere towards that. Um, that I mean, and, and yet again, that was despite the – we got the win despite yet again having decisions to go against us, namely um, yellow card controversy. Now, in my opinion um, – Decorey should have gone for that that foul that was focused on. I mean, it, it's inexplicable. He just took him out, didn't he? It was. It's indefensible, isn't it? It's inexplicable. Yeah. It's incredulous uh, that he he got away with it. Um, yeah, it's ludicrous that VAR can't look at a second yellow as well. It, yeah. it seems, considering they can look at straight reds, they should better look at a second yellow as well. It seems bizarre that they yeah they they literally can't look at. Yeah, if the yeah. ref can't see it or can't be bothered to get the right decision or whatever the reason, then it should be overruled in the same way that other decisions are. Look at this. You, did you really think you yeah. this should be the right yeah, decision? It was a clear and obvious error. It was a dreadful, but I don't understand what what he thinks he saw. That is a booking everywhere, anywhere on the pitch, at any point in the game. It's as clear a booking as you'll see. What's interesting is, I, for my mind, there was only one issue with a second yellow. It was a very clear-cut one. He should have gone. And, of course, it gives them the chance. But Patrick Vieira is not an idiot. He realised he was going to get sent off. For the position in the pitch that he plays in, he was vulnerable to another yellow very soon. So he took him off at half-time, which tells you everything you need to know about what Palace thought about whether that should have been a yellow card as well. Um, and what was interesting, though, is Steve Ferris, who's a friend of the show, Seagulls Over London member. Hello, Steve. Qualified ref. His quote from after the game on the WhatsApp group for Seagulls Over London was, a scrappy game, and I thought Whitworth, which is their goalie, of course, had a blinder for them, making the saves that he did, especially from Mack in the second half. Given he has only played under 23 games, it was a big game that he had to come in for and cope like a senior pro. Our usual crisp passing was off a little last night, but we seemed to control it albeit at the end, when we gave them yet another chance. But fortunately, their strikers are garbage. He then went on to say, and this is the bit I wanted to make a point of, the ref, I thought, was poor last night and bottled the two chances he had to issue a second yellow card onto Corey. He said the amount of fouls he allowed to go unpunished on our back line as they caught Dunk et al. after releasing the ball was baffling. Veltman was immense and had Winifred, as he calls him, in his back pocket. And I won't be seen... Uh, sad to see the back of their talisman, uh, quote marks. The the good thing is they look way off the pace, so fingers crossed we should get a few years of dominance over there. Great unwashed, although I'm not so sure with a change of manager. Who knows? There's no real cohesiveness to their managerial policy, so I'm confident they'll they'll make another bad choice, hopefully. But that that's interesting that Steve thinks there were two yellow card opportunities for a second yellow. I'm, I'm not sure what the other one is there, but he's obviously seen something. Oh, right. There was a second foul just quite soon after that where he could have done it as well. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Really not as bad a foul, but still, if he'd realised that he made a mistake, he should have... Uh... He had the option to over yeah. overbear on the second decision after that. Yeah, I feel what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very frustrating, but not regardless of that and regardless of the fact they could have snatched something... They didn't. They are poor up front, aren't they? For all their talented players, supposedly talented players, such as Elise, Zaha, 
and of course Eze as well, who creates from further back. They um they are lacking something creatively. They are lacking Connor Gallagher, who of course wasn't their player in the first place, but he did make a big difference to them last year. And it shows what a difference he made because technically they should be at least as good this year. Same manager, same general squad, a couple of additions as well. Uh, and yet they are struggling. And they're only 12th in the table, but they're only three points away from the drop zone with some teams having a game in hand on them. Which is actually, I mean, ironically where they finished last year. So they aren't actually any lower at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, they're, they're just a lot nearer to the lower end. So they were part of that, that push at one point at the end of the season, weren't they? Of, uh, of yeah, they were one of the teams. They at one point were finishing above us, I think, weren't they? When we lost, when we were losing. Yeah. And then, uh, I thought they, I thought they finished twelfth. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's I think they were around there, weren't they? Yeah. Um, well, they're a lot more the, the the teams in the top half then, whereas now they're quite well adrift of us, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, they finished 12 last year, but only three adrift of us, whereas now they're like 15 adrift of us, aren't they, isn't it? 15 adrift. Shebo very eloquently put it, 15 points! <laughs> the match day special. 28 on goal difference and two games in hand for us. Oh, mind the gap is, is just, as we were saying on the match day special, it's more like mind the chasm or mind the abyss, none of which yeah. stands as well in the song. But it does sum it up more, really. I mean, it's only a, a matter of a small few games before we could guarantee mathematically uh, our superiority over them again this season, which will be wonderful. I personally, people have said, some people like Andy Bravery, who used to live in the area and likes the rivalry, he said it would be a shame if they do go down because he enjoys having the games against them. To be honest with you, the amount of times they get undeserved points against us and the and, and for the fun factor of them going down, I think that outweighs any yeah. with the derby itself. It's also not exactly a nice experience to go to Selhurst. Also go to the Amex on those days. There's always like trouble of some sort going to the Amex on, on Palace days. And there's, yeah, always hassle at Selhurst. So, yeah, I, I would be quite happy if they went down, to be honest. So would I. There's, there's, there was trouble at the station on uh, on Wednesday. Um, there's also a lot of unsavoury kind of usual kind of behaviour on trains, nothing yeah. physical, but just, Sometimes you know. Right. I mean, we're not, we're not innocent in this, but, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just not particularly appealing day out. It's like there's a lot of London ones that are better. On, on the Brighton are bad as well front, just to say one thing, and it's a rant about some Brighton fans, but also in following to another point I wanted to make from the match, Mr. Tumble, um, you know, he, he was he was had on toast, as Steve has alluded to there. Um, Veltman, I think it was a game that he was relishing. He had him pretty much all, all through the match, didn't he? It was brilliant. He wound him up. He's done uh, it before as well. He's, he's marked out of the game before. They just somehow found some brilliant from someone else to nick it and settle like that. Yeah. But with this one, Veltman even got forward a couple of times and not, you know, to some degree was effective. Um, but not, he, it was breaking forward for Decorey's first booking, wasn't it? It was him who was tripped. He went yeah. past Decorey and his, his actual booking that he did get was for a so foul on that, that was all joyful. And and Mr. Tumble got very, very squealy uh, with the referee. He was moaning at the referee at various points in the first half. He was moaning with him as he went out off down the tunnel at half time. And by all accounts, I missed it. I just came back as we kicked off. But apparently when he came back on the pitch for the second half, he was moaning at the referee as they came out. <laughs> so, I mean, the guy is unbelievable. Most of what he was moaning about was the things that we could see was, was visually was to do with the challenge. He was wrong. It was fair challenges or... Uh, or um, 
he was he was correctly challenged and we won the ball, or he fouled and was correctly penalised, and he kept moaning about it. And I, I'm absolutely loving that. But the, the moan I have about Albion fans is that song, when when Zaha dies, we're all having a party song. Yeah. That is so unpleasant. We are walking out of the West Upper. There was a bunch of people ahead of me singing that over and over again, all the way down the the concourse steps. Um, there's loads of people at the station singing it, apparently. It's the most unpleasant song. I'll sing a load of derogatory stuff about Palace, using swear words and all the rest of it, but I'm not singing that. I just, I hate that song. Yeah, when Palace go down and Zaha leaves for having a party, it's fine, but yeah. Well, it doesn't yeah. scan so well, but yeah, you don't wish that on anyone. It's like, yeah, it's... it's... Yeah, it's just unpleasant, and there's no need for that, to be honest. And, uh, you know... <laughs> I, I guess all of that side of the pantomime is going to go at the end of the season because, as you said, he's not signed a new deal. He seems almost certain to leave. There's no, by all accounts, there's no vibe at all that he's going to sign a well, new there deal. There was a rumour this I saw recently that the Palace are offering him 200 grand a week to stay. Yeah, he's not worth that now. I don't no, think. He's not, that's the thing. And I think that would be a really stupid business. Yeah, you know, they're taking money away for the future people they can get, yeah. you know, people with more long-term prospects that they could get in on. Maybe yeah, I mean, they've struggled over the years to get rid of some of these high earners, people like Benteke and Sacco and people like that, and then to offer, like, to that much money. I mean, I've no idea if it's true. I've just seen rumours that it's, you know, potentially, but, yeah. They've been badly managed, in my opinion, and I think this decision to sack Vieira, they wanted to play a different style. Yes, admittedly, it's gone. It's not been going well for quite a while, uh, and they just don't seem to be able to score goals, and that does hint at the possibility of relegation. I know that they, the likelihood is they'll probably just escape somehow or other. But yeah, I think that'd be okay, probably in the end. If they're playing, you know, the eight teams below us, that are below them, they probably only need to win three of those, really, given the points they're on now, and pick some draws up to stay up. Yeah, even three wins or even probably more than thirty-eight, thirty-nine. You need probably. Yeah. I think for all of the tightness at the bottom, I don't think you're going to need more points than normal, actually. Looking at the averages of points, I don't think that's the case. So you're looking at probably, you'd want to get 38. You'd probably want to make 39 to be on the safe side. They've got 27. So I think three wins would do it, um, given that they're presuming they pick up a couple of draws somewhere as well. Um, Home games against their their rivals down the bottom. So you'd fancy them to do enough to win two or three. After, after they've got Arsenal, which is a horrendous fixture to have next, but after that and the international break, they have got very winnable games. They haven't yeah. got many big sides at all in the rest of their run. And Fulham in the top half they've got to play, which... And Fulham yeah. are getting a bit ropey at the moment. I think, is it Pereira or Paulinho? One of them's out injured, I think, at the moment as well. Yeah. And Mitrovic has gone off the boil again, and I, I, they seem to be dropping points a lot, don't they, at the moment. So... That's not necessarily going to be a tough as fixture as it could have been, but I do think uh, I'm grateful either. So, yeah. well, it's a big call, isn't it? Because could, if they stuck with Vieira, they might have rode through it and got back to the other side. But now we're not going to see that. Now we're going to see a different manager in who might make things worse. Yeah, it it sounds like they'll go for someone at the end of the season, probably. I'd have thought, and then you know, is, look it, for Roy, a... is Roy coming back, Peter? Well, I mean, he's yeah. a favourite, isn't he? So it's an interesting one. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean. If ever, if anyone knows to get the best, how to get the best out of that squad, should be him, really, shouldn't it? I mean, they've not changed dramatically since he left. Yeah, you know, they've got, got a few players in, but not like the, you know, the, a lot of the players they have in that team are the ones that he, you know, got success with and never got anywhere near relegation. Hmm. You know, it, in a way, might be for ten games, quite a decent choice, and then, you know, go for someone more, kind of more, you know, looking to the future in the summer. But 
I've seen like Carrick mention people like that, which would be an interesting one. He's not going to go now, you know, but he might go in the summer if they've stayed up and Middlesbrough haven't got up or something like that, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's rumours they're trying to, uh, one of the people that the fans fancied would be, uh, would be Carrick and another one was, um, uh, Company. <laughs> well, Company's. Yeah, yeah, not going to go there. All, all due disrespect to Palace, uh, they're not going to get company in the middle of a title-winning championship campaign in which they're going to be in a better position next year than Palace would be, I, I think. You know, yeah, even he's be in the same league as Palace next year, if not above them. So, yeah, if, he'd be... If, if Palace survive, there's still no point moving to Palace when you've already got a good yeah. working scenario going on at Burnley, uh, to be honest. And they're... Yeah. I don't see company going. Carrick might do in the summer if Middlesbrough don't go up and Palace stay up. You never know. Might might be an interesting one, but I mean, I hope they go for Frank de Boer personally. But uh, <laughs> see if he can relive the glory days that he had last time. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, I yeah, I, I don't know what they'll do. There doesn't seem to be any proper long term like, like cohesive thinking. There doesn't yeah. seem to be any strategies in play there, does there? Battle though, this whole yeah, with us not even being in the slightest bit involved and. Nine teams, and I was looking up earlier, the, the last game of the season, Forest go to Palace, I think Everton played Bournemouth, and Leicester played West Ham, I think. No. <laughs> Any of those could be huge games. Well, yes, indeed. Uh, that's amazing. That's just, uh, I love I love that kind of stuff. It's, it's superb, isn't it? Um, and, and we look forward to that. As we said, as neutrals, we can just enjoy it, which will be wonderful. Um just one thing as well, in terms of um, the Palace game, by the way, I just got one other quote from Andy Bravery, who was on the match day special a bit, but he made some further musings on what's happened. He said, um, in relation to Steele in particular, he said, I thought Steele, in every aspect of his game, was really good last night. Also a nice touch that the first player he embraced last night, what the, he said this obviously on, th- on Thursday, uh, um, the first player that he embraced after the match was their young keeper apparently telling him he would have made his parents really proud last night. His sons um, play at the same club as my son in the year above. They all train together on Saturdays. My son isn't very keen on the older boys, but says that Steele's son is decent praise indeed. Is decent, sorry, praise indeed. So a lot, a lot of praise for Steele there. Classy guy. That's fair play to him. And Whitworth had a really good game, actually, didn't he? To be fair to him. He's, he's a Palace fan. He's through in their academy. He's been rotating duties with another 18-year-old goalkeeper who was the guy that ended up on the bench for this match. Uh, Owen, somebody, I think his name was. Um, and the two of them have been rotating. So he's not even playing every under-23s game because of that rotation policy. And yet he stepped up and he, he looked good, to be honest. Fair play to him. Yeah. But in the end, they lost. So that's all fine. <laughs> um, and in terms of Palace, yeah, we'll see how they go over the season. But my word on Carrick is I don't know if Middlesbrough will make it. The Championship Promotion race has got interesting, isn't it? Burnley are a clip home and hosed. But Sheffield United have been a little bit inconsistent with both performances and results recently. Middlesbrough have crept up to within four points. They did briefly go one point behind uh, by playing a day before Chef. um, But both sides won their um, their games in midweek. So there's still a four-point gap. Akpon, in particular, Middlesbrough's front line in general and Middlesbrough as a team as a whole have been... Really, really good since Carrick's come in. He looks the real deal, doesn't he? So far, I mean, it's early days, but so far he looks amazing, Carrick. Yeah, he's had a really good job because they were down the bottom when he joined. And so, you know, down the bottom six, I think, from memory. So, yeah, great job for him. Yeah, good to see, you know, another young up and co manager coming through. 
obviously then the question is well, either he gets up with Middlesbrough, he goes further up, he gets up to another job like Palace like that, how he does then and obviously that's the test, you know, uh, managers have done well at that level, you know, Lampard did well at Derby, um, you know initially and um, other people, yeah, have done well and yeah, but then, you know, it kind of yeah, it's how you do after that Indeed. We'll see see how it pans out. Again, that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Some interesting names in there. I mean, not not very favourable clubs, not clubs whose fans I, I like whatsoever, but Luton and Millwall, in terms of size of club, in terms of size of budget, have done incredibly well. Gary Rowett at Millwall and Rob Edwards at Luton, both doing incredible jobs. They look quite firm, I would say favourites, there's no guarantees, but they look firm favourites to stay in the playoff mix, with Norwich and Watford ambling about a little bit and Coventry not quite getting there and other teams not quite in the in the mix like Preston. It looks like um, Luton and Millwall are both going to be in there. What's what's most amusing for me is that Rob Edwards, the Luton manager, of course was, uh, I think he was the 1,732nd manager to be sacked by the Watford regime or whatever it is, and no sooner was he sacked, he's now steered arch-rivals Luton to a higher place in the championship, and although I don't like Luton, I do love that fact. <laughs> yeah, it's quite entertaining. And I, I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't mind someone like Watford, Luton or Millwall coming up, because at the moment it looks like it could be you know, of all potential disasters, it could be even like Middlesbrough, Blackburn and Burnley coming up, which would be a, at least Sheffield's quite a reasonable day out in terms of the place and the distance. But, you know, kind of like Blackburn, Burnley and Middlesbrough all came up. That would be a disaster. They're all pretty awful places to go and they're all miles away. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um... The South went down as well. Yeah. So, you know, and Bournemouth and Palace went down, or something Bournemouth and West Ham went down. And then you get Burnley, Blackburn, and Middlesbrough to place replacing them. That would definitely change. Also, the uh, kind of like the, the north-south divide in the champion, the Premier League. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I've got to mention a few other bits about the Albion. We'll swing back to some other football news in a moment, but um, some good news for the Albion. Uh, Peter, you've been telling me uh, about Solly March signing a new yeah. deal. Signing a new deal, 2026. So three-year deal. Plus, we've got the option for another year. Um, yeah, great news. He's obviously, I mean, who does anyone walking away from Charleston have said that he was going to hit that form? And he, I think if ever score again was like, well, especially at that point. And then obviously the next game, he got a brilliant goal at Southampton. And from there, he's just kicked on and been brilliant. And that goal on Wednesday was a classic example. The Solly March before the Derby would have just tried to take that on and lost it, or the defender would have got back and he wouldn't have the confidence to shoot. There, he just took a touch to get it away from the defender and then smashed it first time across the keeper. You know, yes, you could argue the keeper could have done better and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you've got to, you've got to take these chances to get them, to get a goal. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not surprising that he hasn't been included in the England squad because we all know Southgate's bias. But you can honestly tell me that the players they have in that squad are better at the moment and generally than Duncan March then, frankly, uh, yeah, you're talking rubbish. Southgate just doesn't like it, Brighton players, for whatever reason. Um, oh, Maguire, Dyer, and Maguire, Dyer, and Gray are all are all above Dunk in the listings for that. Maguire doesn't even play for a team that's conceded four or five more goals than us this season. And he's hardly so, playing. He's only playing some of the games anyway. Yeah, um, he's only playing for them, and they've actually conceded more goals than us anyway. So basically, he's not good enough for a team who have conceded more goals than Brighton have this season. Yeah, and I was going to get onto that subject anyway. We might as well talk about it now. So yeah, I mean, Duncan Solly overlooked. One of the, I think it's Rob Dorsett from Sky, asked Gareth Southgate early into his presser uh, specifically and explicitly about Dunk and Solly March. 
um, and saying why those guys not included. And Gareth Southgate answered them. He, he said, he said that you can't always pick on form. There are ulterior criteria that you have to work to in terms of team ethic and whatever else. In terms of the specifics of those two players, he said um, that they are playing very well. Brighton have had an exceptional season. They're playing exceptionally well. They're playing in a unique style, which he didn't think anybody else quite was doing. So there's plenty of compliments about the club. But then he went on to say he couldn't really justify Solly being ahead of Jack Grealish, uh, uh, Bakri Saka, um, uh, Foden and um, Rashford, he listed. And you can kind of understand the point to a certain degree. Solly's been in form over a certain period of time, but he hasn't been consistent over years. You can sort of understand that argument. But I noticed he didn't start listing the central defenders uh, to make the same point about Dunk. Because if you do, as you said, um, you've got Maguire, who's bad, who's not playing often and isn't very good at the moment. You've got Eric Dyer, who's been hit and miss in a, an underwhelming Spurs team, albeit higher than us in the table. Uh, you've got um, Gay in there, who's, who is a good defender, to be fair, but he's in a struggling Palace team. I'm not saying necessarily leave him out, but it's comparable for Dunk, I would say. You've got John Stones, who isn't playing every week at all either at Man City. And you, you know what those guys are about. You don't need to see any more from them. Yeah. Um, I know these games are qualifiers, not friendly. Calvin has played 58 minutes for Man City this year, and he's in the yeah. squad. Yeah. And also, the, the other thing is, I mean, they, they've called up Ivan Tony Now, for me, um, they left him out of the England squad, quite frankly, in my opinion, because of the betting scandal. That's what I think was the reason behind that. He said, he, he knew that was coming, and he said, no, it was to do with Callum Wilson was in a rich vein of form and was sustaining himself without injury. Uh, and he just picked him ahead of Tony on that basis. I think that's a bit of a weak argument because I think they're neck and neck, but Tony's a better penalty taker. So I, I would have taken Tony if it's just on football. I think he, there was pressure brought, brought to bear to select Wilson over Tony. I wouldn't say we would have, you know, at all costs, don't bring Tony, but it's an easier option to pick Wilson than pick the controversial one. But now we've got these two qualifiers coming up. Tony's been picked much nearer to the decision that's soon to be made about controversies uh, to do with betting, of which he has already publicly admitted to some of those. So he's clearly guilty of something because by his own admission. He's already said that. So why closer to the event is, is he being left out for that reason? We can only assume Southgate meant it when he said it was it was a, a footballing reason. But uh, and he he was saying that Wilson's not been a bit more inconsistent and had a little bit of issues with injuries now again. I don't know. It seems a bit um, double standarded to me. I think on that one, uh, very disappointing. And Alan, friend of the show, uh, put a good post in saying. Uh, it's sad, really. Every young boy's dream to play for England. Little did they know when playing for their under-8s that some spiteful Palace defender who sold pizzas for penalty misses would kill their dream. <laughs> I love you, Alan. Brilliant stuff. And I know Dunk did get his debut under Southgate, but uh, it was one match, wasn't it, really? So uh, it seems as if something wasn't quite right when he made his debut there. I don't know if he was undermined. I don't know if he made a, created somehow a bad impression. I don't know if... There was an agenda going on, but he just yeah. got the one game against the USA, a friendly, and never was called back again. As far as I know, he's not a complete and utter dickhead, Dunk, so why would he have annoyed? Yeah, and the absolute fantasy of that squad is that Ben White's not in it. Whatever happened at the World Cup that, was, well, that meant he went home has obviously decided in Southgate's mind because then you, can, you can't tell me that a guy who's playing 
every game for the top team in the Premier League is not good enough to get into that England squad. Exactly. It's, it's ludicrous. And Southgate, <laughs> unless, unless White did something really, really bad, which I don't think he did, Southgate's basically using his petty vendettas against him. And that's a great connection as well. I mean, the word the word I've heard is that, he's, that White had a big row with Holland, Steve Holland, the um, assistant manager or assistant coach, whatever his title is. Um, and, and, you know, if you have got a major row with a member of the, the backroom staff, that is an issue. And obviously it's creating uh, a problem. And I don't know if he's big on attitude, Southgate, and whether Dunk somehow they just didn't click, like they rubbed each other up the wrong way or something, or, or he rubbed someone else up the wrong way. I don't know. It seems silly, given how well he's playing, not to get some time. And I know he's not um, he's not a young player, but some of the people they're calling up aren't young either. So you might yeah. play the players in form. I you guess his argument is the same players, you'll keep maybe, maybe get into quarterfinals or whatever, but you won't ever win the thing because they're not they show when it comes down to it on their big occasions, they're not well, they don't win. You know, when it when in reality, while England have done a lot better in the last three tournaments than the than previous ones. When they've had a game on paper that's really tough, they've not won it. They've never won, you know, France, Croatia, Italy, you know, the first really good team they face, they get knocked out. Mm. Yeah. It's it's frustrating immensely, I have to say. Um, Dunk's playing as well as anyone at the moment. And, yeah, we concede some goals, but that's not necessarily his fault, is it? And well, We concede some goals because we play the most, the most attacking football in the league. Exactly, yeah. And he's a ball-playing player. I remember the ignorance of some of the national media saying, well, yeah, Dunk's not a ball-playing player. Well, yes, he bloody is. You just haven't been watching yeah. the album. And if you haven't watching the album, don't be arrogant yeah. enough to, to make yeah. it. He didn't do it the Hugh, because Hugh didn't want him to. He wanted to get it forward earlier and get it up to Murray and you know play off him. But he did it, yeah, since Potter's come in and, and now under the Zerbe, he's one of the best, if not the best, ball-playing centre-back in, in the league. And yeah, for me, Southgate leaving, as you say, Southgate didn't use other examples to explain why Dunk wasn't in there for that reason, that he, he knows that he's definitely the best fourth in the backs of the league from England, but he just won't pick him because he's Palace or whatever reason. He's good with the media, isn't he, Southgate? He's quite clever. He, he, knows, he knows how to handle them. And usually that's a positive. In this case, it's an irritant <laughs> and a negative. But there we have it. A um, couple of other bits of Albion news. Um, I've got, I don't think we mentioned it before. Roberto De Zerbi and his snood uh, leads. <laughs> Brilliant. He's pulling it up over his head. Then he pulled it down. Then he kicked a water bottle, splashed himself with water, got a towel, flung that down on the floor. Didn't get booked, I don't think, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> but there was loads of histrionics. Then the Palace game comes in midweek. He did get booked for complaining about the Caicedo challenge, which got Caicedo his his regulation booking, which was no worse. In fact, it was probably slightly softer than the Decorey second yellow that wasn't a second yellow. And I think it was on that basis that he was complaining because it was immediately after that that he got booked. I think there's another touchline ban, isn't there? And is that does that yeah. apply this weekend? Weekend, yeah. So watch out for him to be. Yes. Yeah. Well. Exactly. Because um, what the West Ham was the game he had the touchline bound for, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, if, he probably does have to tone it down a bit. But on the other hand, we've had a spectacular run in the last few months of incompetent referees. You know, I mean, and it's, a spectacular and it, run of incompetent refs. I like it. <laughs> and this weekend to help out, we've got Jared Gillett apparently. So, uh, oh for that, God's sake, really? Yeah. So that, that run's going to continue. Oh, God. Well, at least if we're on our game, we should win regardless of refs. That's if yeah. we're on our game. If you look at, though, you look back over the last few months, we've had yeah. 
you know, left. But um, since since the World Cup, we've had that. Um, we've had uh, well, we've had a very unluckily a goal set against Arsenal that you could argue that was correct. Southampton got a really soft penalty against us. We were denied a blatant penalty at Charlton in the League Cup. We were denied a blatant penalty at Leicester. We were we were denied two or two red cards because Liverpool could have had against us in the FA Cup. Naughty Villa. Palace, obviously the stupid and stupid and goal that was blatantly should have been given. Yellow uh, cards not given and a penalty not given against Villa as yeah. well. As that. Yeah, that was before the World Cup, but yeah, still, yeah, still. I mean, some of the decisions, you know, even going back to Everton Day, even though we won, Welbeck was given, was denied a blatant penalty. McTominay should have been sent off. It's yeah. like you know, it's you, you, the referees have really just seem to get worse and. Yeah, they say these things even out of the season. Well, if they do, we're going to have a very good last 10 games because we're going to get every decision go for us. Yeah. Well, we don't want to hang in before the game, but I'm not confident with Jared Gillett being a charge. Yeah, how on the, these new guys, like, yeah, like Jared Gillett and uh, Bramall or his name, is, he's been dreadful against us three times this season, I think. Yeah, they're just... I need to have another sip of my um, my takeaway beer, which I'm having, by the way. Howling Hops Blankets 4.2. Lovely beer. I've got it in a milk container, which you can't see because I've got the graphics on my screen. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's a nice beer. Howling Hops Brewery is great, of course. And um, it's nice to have a little pint there. So I'm celebrating. I notice you're not drinking, Peter. Saving yourself. I had a heavy night last night, so I'm being good. <laughs> Albion News. A couple of other bits as well. Um I mentioned Lincoln City. Uh, no, I didn't. Me- uh, what's going to? Yeah, um, I was going to mention about a Lincoln fan where we talked to Phil Annette on the uh, on the build up to the FA Cup. Um, as is a Lincoln fan. Hello to As if you're listening. Um, I'll talk about what he says about Grimsby later. But in terms of what he said about Carl Rushworth, uh, he sent me the link telling me about the call up. He said he's really good. He's very commanding. Great shot stopper. Decent kicking. Playing out as well as long, um, so he really loves him. Obviously, Rushworth is on loan at Lincoln at the moment. Um, he's been called up to the uh, to the England team along with uh, our on loan guy, Colwell as well. Um, the under twenty ones for England. Uh, that's good news, isn't it? Maybe a future England prospect. What do you think of that? Yeah. Really positive, yeah. Really good to see. Although once he gets, there's no point really. If Southgate's still here, he might as well not bother. But. Uh... <laughs> Well, yeah, we do have a really okay. kind of good keepers coming through because I think Beadle, who's on the crew, has been called up to under 19s as well. Oh, has he? Brilliant. Oh, yeah. fantastic. That's really good to hear. A kind of generational kind of like young keepers coming through the, the ranks, kind of kind of working their way up. Can I just say also that um, uh, Southgate did call up Solly March to the under, I think it was under 20s or under 21s for England. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. That's all he did, though. <laughs> um, so is that. One other Albion bit, just finally, uh, Japanese Twitter account's been set up in collaboration with the club, and they've got about 29,000 followers. They had 27,000 after uh, one day, I believe, or two days. Incredible stuff. <laughs> it's going off the scale, isn't it? It's winning everything, basically. <laughs> and, and, and they've cleaned us out of, um, of home kits and the, and the main away kits, I think. we've Only red kits are available. I know this because the Albion Rule mentions on their podcast that um the robert eaton memorial fund is to wind down after 21 years they're having their 22 years they're having their 21st and final um robert eaton memorial match between palace and brighton fans 
and their ringers and so on at the Amex. I think it's the day before the FA Cup final, by all accounts, a Friday evening. So I've never been along to one. I've, I've never been able to get down there. I'm hoping I can go to that one. It would be quite nice uh, just to see it off before it finishes. It's been a great um, institution, effectively, yeah, isn't no. it? Really good. Um, and it, it just seems like the timing's there now. It's been going for, as you said, 22 years. Um, loads of brilliant fundraising events and well played to everyone involved in that, uh, in the memory of Robert Eaton, who died in the Twin Towers attacks. Um so I think maybe the timing's right for that. The family don't, it's a lot of admin and so on. And I think the family wanted to say that the timing was right for that. Um, so that, so there's that to mention. Um, but in terms of, um, other Albion news, uh, was there anything else, Peter? I've got, I've got a couple of other general bits of football to chat about very quickly, but anything else Albion related? Not really. No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, just a couple of other bits to mention then. Kyle Walker, is he punishment proof? He, he evaded. Um, a sending off in the FA Cup semi-final. He could have got done for headbutting Ali Razor. If Ali Razor was only more of a shithouser, we could have got him sent off. Uh, he's he's now, um, well, he might get punished for it, but he's been apparently indecently exposing himself in a pub or club or a bar somewhere. Um, lovely, savoury behaviour there, from Kyle, um, I'm sure. Um, and also Hakimi, I think it is, has been arrested on an accusation of rape. So there's a few unsavoury things going on here and there around the world. Um, there's been a lot of uh, racism issues recently, which I did mention on the last pod, so we won't go into, we won't delve on that too much. The Lineker resolution seems to be solved, with Lineker not having to make an apology, and Tim Davey making some kind of general, sort of generic slight apology, but not really an apology. Um, so that was that. Um, and a couple of interesting bits of football news. Uh, Erling Haaland is back in form. And uh, just in time for when we we inevitably beat Grimsby and draw Man City in the semi-final. And he absolutely batters us. That's what's going to really happen, isn't it? Um, 7-1, they won their uh, Champions League game. Uh, Haaland got five goals. Apparently his former manager, who's now the manager of Leipzig, the team they were playing, had made some comment that wound him up. So can can I just say whatever we do, do not wind Erling Haaland up, because <laughs> if he scores five goals, he's been only on the field for an hour. <laughs> yeah, it feels foolish to wind up a player who basically scores for fun. I mean, <laughs> he must have known from the fact he managed him as well. Yeah, he must have known what he's like. Crazy stuff. The the other bit, there's been some great goals recently. Alfie May scored from the halfway line. He intercepted the ball. He knocked it up in the air and then volleyed his own knock just by the byline, just inside the half. Uh, it took one bounce, went straight in. He then drilled in an incredible volley, two of the best goals I've seen this season in one match for his team. Um, there was also an incident at Newport County, a ground we went to earlier this season, uh, where Newport were playing Wimbledon. And the goalkeeper, I think it was the home goalkeeper, pick the ball up outside the area because there's some additional lines because they play rugby there as well. So the goalkeeper was standing two or three yards outside the penalty box and he just picked the ball up, uh, a long, aimless ball forwards by the opposition, picked it up, went outside the area, escaped with only a yellow card because I think they, the ref understood that there was a, an element of confusion that shouldn't really be there. But it was very funny. I quite enjoyed that. So we some amazing goals and some amazing games recently. It's been a great season, um, and that's, yeah, I mean, that's where we're at at the moment, Peter. So and, uh, I think that sums up part one, doesn't it? So yeah. I think we'll take a break there. In part two, we're going to preview the FA Cup. We've 
Hello and welcome back then to part two of the podcast where we now are welcoming onto the pod for the first time in a year or two, actually, it feels like, uh, Mr. Phil Annette, Annette, he of FA Cup Fact File fame. Welcome back to the pod, Phil. How are you, sir? Very well indeed. Thanks for us. Thanks for having me back. Uh, looking forward to chat to you about the FA Cup as its later stages. Absolutely. Uh, indeed. We've just been reading that um, I think it's five... Um, League Two sides have got to the quarterfinals before. I don't know if that stat's true. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get confirmation or otherwise from you in a moment. But um, Grimsby Town have managed it, and I think that's going to be the team that literally everybody is going to be cheering on <laughs> on Sunday, except Brighton fans. <laughs> yeah, I think you have got the whole nation against you uh, on Sunday. Um, yeah, it's an amazing story for Grimsby, and you know, remarkable. They've uh, beaten teams from a higher level in every single round, which is the first time that any club's ever done that in the proper rounds of the competition. Um, it's 84 years since they last made it this far, and that's a new competition record as well. Yeah. So, you know, if they do produce uh, an unlikely victory at Brighton, and I'm sure you're hoping they don't, um, you know, that, that they'd be the first team from that level ever to make it to the semi-final of the FA Cup. So, you know, they're on the cut of history. It's a very Brighton thing to do, to, to, let, to you know, lose to Grimsby, given... That, the form we're in, how everyone says we're red hot favourites and all that, and yeah, but to make someone the first team ever from League Two to get to the finals, it's it's a very very Brighton sort of thing to do. <laughs> yes, indeed. You just know one way or the other. From a Brighton point of view, it's going to be quite an eye-catching day. Either we get to the semis for the third time in our history, mm-hmm. uh, or we're the team that are the ultimate uh, giant killed. Side, aren't they? <laughs> Amongst all giant killings, this will be rise up there. Um, I think it's going to be um, excitement for us one way, or horrendous attention we don't want the other. Um, but I think there'll be a lot of focus on the game for that reason. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going, to, it's going to be an interesting match uh, for sure. Uh, the other games, of course, have brought some interesting fixtures up. Man City, who must be the favourites, um, are up against their their legend and former captain during a recent golden period that they've been in, Vincent Company, who, of course, yeah. has taken over as Burnley manager and has got them absolutely soaring, playing a different brand of football as well, more City-like in style. Um, and they're facing each other in one of the others. Man United against Fulham and, of course, the very intriguing fixture of two championship sides mm-hmm. playing each other in the other fixture, Blackburn and Sheffield United. Um, what other stats in particular stand out for you uh, and what other kind of quirks of the draw, Phil, in terms of what does that throw up? There's got to be some interesting well, stuff we have here. Obviously, uh, yeah, Burnley uh, and Vincent Company going to uh, Manchester City, uh, you know, and they're scoring freely, aren't they? They've uh, scored a whole load again in midweek. And uh, you get into a habit of scoring, so there's a great chance for them to to uh, give Man City a game with with the fact it's uh, one game only and goes to penalties if it, if they can't separate themselves. They, they've got to fancy their chances and they can just go for it. But um, they don't have a very good record against them in the FA Cup, unfortunately, as most uh, championship sides don't either in recent times. Um, they, they beat them in 1931, but haven't uh, beaten them in four subsequent uh, times that they've met. And uh, they got dubbed 5-0 in the last meeting just over four years ago. So... I think it'll be a really entertaining game that Burnley can go to with absolutely nothing to lose, um, just play with freedom, and uh, hopefully, you know, come uh, tomorrow night, we'll we'll be talking about another potential shock in the competition. Um, yeah, that was if that could happen, that would certainly open it up quite nicely. Because frankly, at the moment, I you know, City and United are the obvious favourites in that in the tournament. Yeah. But if one of them got knocked out, that would really, 
in, you know, kind of make it interesting. Or even if they got through and then got each other in semi-finals, it would give someone else a chance to get to the final, which would be quite interesting. Yeah, there's never been a Manchester all Manchester final unless you count um, Manchester C V Wigan that they might say Greater Manchester, but um I'd still say that's Lancashire. Uh, but what's interesting is this is uh, this is the lowest number of top flight teams in the quarterfinal since uh, 2008. You remember that season? Mm-hmm. There was just Portsmouth as the only uh, Premier League team that made the semi-finals that year, and obviously they went on to win it. So it is feasible. You know, no, no offence, to no, not for Brighton, but it is feasible we could get the same again. Um, we've got definitely one championship side through, and that that in itself is uh, intriguing because it's eight years since any team outside the top flight made the, the semi-finals. Uh, and so, you know, we've got one guaranteed if Burnley can pull off a shock or, you know, that's possible um, as well. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an open competition. You know, everyone, all the press will be saying it's uh, it's there for Man City, Man United to, to go for it. But Fulham are in great form um, in the Cup in particular and uh, very strong. They'll fancy their chances at Manchester United. They may have their eyes on bigger prizes potentially that uh, mean that they don't give this the focus that they ought to. Um, so, but for, again, Fulham don't have a very good record at Manchester United in the FA Cup. They won the first two times, uh, way, way back in the in the 20th century. But they got beaten uh, eight times by Manchester United in the last time, last eight times they've met. So yeah, it's pretty one sided. And uh, with Manchester United having home home advantage, you're probably going to believe that they could do it again. But again, this is just a one off game, and and that's one of the things about the FA Cup at this stage. You know, with only one game going to penalties if it gets that far, then it's anybody's game, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Sheffield United v Blackburn, two championships, as you said, very interesting to see if they're still going. Um, You know, between them, they've won the Cup 10 times and uh, both of them are in the top uh, 15 of all-time records in terms of the competition. But you have to go back to the 1920s since either of them last won it. So almost 100 years since either of them lifted the trophy. And yeah. uh, you know, for Sheffield United, that's as long ago as they last appeared in the final was that, that far back. Uh, Blackburn did make the final in 1960, but outside of that, they don't really have a, a strong recent record in the uh, competition. Mm. So, you know, one of those two clubs would be looking to make in history. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of potential uh, new ground, isn't there? Um, I was intrigued to hear what you said about the Manchester element, not uh, not having had a Manchester derby in the final before. Which, uh, I was surprised. I thought at some point somewhere in history, I obviously can't remember any because there aren't any, but in my living memory, but I would have thought somewhere deep in the history it would have been the case, but clearly not. I have to say that would feel like a pretty boring <laughs> fixture well, from who's left. If you're not from Manchester, that is. Well, you uh, say that. I mean, the, the, we had Merseyside derbies in the 80s, if you remember. And I know one yeah. of them was tinged with the issues with Hillsborough. But both of those games actually proved to be quite good, despite the fact that you'd have thought beforehand that it was only of interest for people from the town, from the city they were from. Uh, who knows whether that would be true here, um, if those two clubs made it this time around. But um, it would certainly have a lot of hype, that would be sure. Yeah. Indeed. Um, looking back on Grimsby, a couple of things. First of all, I've been watching Sky Sports News earlier today and uh, um, Paul Hurst with a really beaming smile is obviously really looking forward to the weekend and the, the occasion. Um, great. And I really hope everyone has a good time up to a point. <laughs> but, um, but he was saying he's been doing a lot of studying of our video, you know, videos of our games and all that sort of thing, as you'd imagine he would do. And he said it's been 
it's been eye-opening and daunting, I think, with the words you used. Uh, we said it's certainly uh, there's a lot to, to pack into uh, to, to what they need to prepare for. Um, we will be odds-on favourites to win it, but actually, uh, as I say, I think it is our sixth quarter-final, um, third in six years, I think it is, but it's I think it's our sixth overall. But if I'm not mistaken, maybe you can confirm this, Phil. Uh, have Grimsby made, although it has been 84 years since the last time, have they made the quarters six times themselves already? No, no, no. They're, 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 um, this is their fourth oh, occasion right. at this stage. So Brighton and Grimsby actually have the two lowest um, appearances in the quarterfinal stage of the competition of all mm. the last eight. So it's just nine, this season included, just nine times between you. So yeah, back in back in when you know the, the two t- the two teams have met before in the FA Cup. Oh yeah, um, you have to go way back to nineteen thirty one, I think. Um, when they met, and then at that time it was Grimsby who were the top flight side, and Brighton were playing in third division south. Hmm. Uh, so the roles reversed. But back in 1931, actually Brighton caused an upset and won the game. So you know you don't want it history is. to repeat itself, they do you, this time, man. Um, <laughs> but you know it has happened already that the underdog has won in this fixture in the FA Cup, albeit almost a uh, hundred years ago. Yeah, well, unless if we lose them, we can point out that to the to the papers and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, indeed, there's going to be a huge amount of coverage on it. Um, by the way, for anyone that's that's not aware, the there's only one game on Saturday, which is five forty-five. That's the City Burnley game. The others are all on the Sunday. So you've got twelve o'clock Sheffield United Blackburn. Our match Brighton Grimsby is two fifteen, and then Man United Fulham is four thirty. Fulham being a bogey side. I kind of almost don't want uh, Fulham to knock Man United out. I'd, I'd fancy us against Man U more, ironically, if we were to if we were to win and then draw them. Um, I think it would be a bigger game for Fulham, I think, in a way as well. United yeah. have, yeah, uh, as Phil was saying, they've got other things to focus on. They especially will then, because Europe will be a, will be quite busy that week as well. And yeah, so it's the finals. Well, yeah, I mean, they've, they've been challenging for Europe, and they, they the four semi finals as well, which is. Yeah, quite a big one. Exactly, they're still busy. Man United are still busy. Might not be too bad on that score. And um, we have obviously got to beat Grimsby first, and nobody's under, uh, nobody's taking it too lightly. I mean, the good thing for our point of view is that Deserby uh, got his fingers stung a bit with um, the Charlton game in the League Cup earlier this year, which was the first game back after the World Cup before we resumed the Premier League, and uh, it was a nil-nil and ended up losing on pens. Uh, terrible day. There were lots of players were jaded. I think it was a mixture of tiredness, just not being on it, not being motivated, and obviously some of the we players. Were really on, though. We had a really, we had a strong penalty appeal turned down. We missed the the penalty to win the game as well. We, you know, even with all that, we still should have beaten them. Yeah, but by not being at our best, you know, these these upsets can happen. But I do think Roberto is because he's had his. I said his finger stung by by that. I think he's all the more determined to make sure we don't take things too lightly. Of course, things can still happen, and we've always got that little niggling worry at the back of our minds. Um, certainly, if Grimsby do win, and it's not through some kind of horrendous, you know, outrageous reasons, and then I'll be wishing them the best to to, to go the whole way for sure, because it's it's the it's the romance story, as yeah. we said yeah, at the beginning. Yeah. Everyone's going to be rooting for Grimsby, aren't they? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you, know, you wouldn't have said at the start of the season that they'd be a team from this level of the competition in, in the final eight. And, uh, you know, they, they beat Southampton. So, in a way, that's a benefit for you as well because 
mm. you know you, there won't be a surprise package now you've seen that and know that uh, you can't take them lightly and uh you know they, they they won that game with two two penalties that you know you could argue were they penalties or not it's questionable um but you know they, I think they, the play, but they were just stupid pieces of play i mean yeah <laughs> We've learned from that not to punch them in the back, the player in the back, which is kind of in the area. Yeah. Is. Yeah. I mean, I fully respect Grimsby completely could do, you know, do, you know, they could come and win. It's 11 against 11. Anything can happen. But it has to be said, Southampton basically gave them the game and rested nine players when they had, they had Leicester game on their minds. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it, it was, and Southampton have been awful this season anyway with their first team. So their reserves are even worse. Yeah, and it, even then they almost equalised with a goal that's allowed only just. Hmm. So it's, it's not disrespectful for the Grimsby, but I think the reality is that anyone, all the other seven teams in that draw, wanted Grimsby home as the draw. We, you're not going to get a better chance to get to the final than a home game against a League Two side. Just a matter of taking it, isn't it? And yeah. I think we are. We're certainly a step, a few steps up on Southampton this season. And I think from what was said on by the by the manager Paul Hurst, he was alluding to that. You know, he said this is a different level. And there was I've been on their forums, and it's been a really really nice um, ambience between Brighton and Grimsby fans. Quite a few Brighton fans, myself included, have gone on their main forum, and it's all been really really nice camaraderie and um, interaction people giving advice on you know where to go and where to park and where to drink and you know all sorts of stuff like that um so that's been nice and um it's been good banter there's been no no animosity at all which is nice to hear we may have saved a few people a few problems because um there's a lot of talk about people going to park in lewis which normally isn't great but on a sunday can be the only problem is it's the women's FA Cup quarterfinals as well. And Lewis, no less, who are second tier in, in women's football, have Manchester United at home in the quarterfinal. And that kicks off at 12.30 before our 2.15. So Lewis parking, if anyone is listening to this and wasn't aware, even Albion fans, there might be plenty that hadn't clocked it, might be good to get there very, very early if you're going to park there. Uh, because the, the parking may be free or easier or cheaper. Um, but you still need to be able to get there. And if there's any Grimsby fans listening who don't read their own forums, um, if you book a parking space at Lewis Station, you're apparently you're paying for it, so you've paid in advance, but you haven't reserved a space, so you would need to take that into account as well. But anyway, no, the the, the camaraderie has been very good between the the fans, and I mean they're going to come out and have a great time. They've sold out their four thousand two hundred twenty one allocation mm-hmm. easily. Um, they, they outsung Southampton. They'll probably outsing us. I'm pretty sure. Although we're in a very good mood at the moment after the Palace game. Um, it's a great story as well. They were they went out the league a couple of years ago and were in complete chaos. The owners were. You know, causing problems, and they've been taken over, I think, by someone local, haven't they? And yeah. and obviously, one promotion in extremely dramatic style last yeah. year. They had an incredible game against Wrexham in the semi-finals of the playoffs, where they won five four, was it, in the end or something? Yeah. Um, all, was, of yeah. Play- all of their playoff games went. They came from behind and won with the last yeah. Of the ball, yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah, and they've not been amazing in the league this year, but they look like they're going to stay up. And yeah, it's a great story from where they were a couple of years ago when they looked like they were, you know, they could even do what Scunthorpe looked like they're going to do and go through the conference the way they were playing. Yeah, um, look at yeah. their forum as well. They would say there was a, a lots of good debates about various things. One question was 
have they ever played against a World Cup winner before? And then I think apparently they played against Pedro for a Chelsea game or something in a cup match. Um, but it's interesting, all those discussions. But there was one question was, is this our biggest game in our history? And obviously, you know, they've been in quarterfinals before. So people were saying, well, you have to kind of put this in perspective. Um, but I suppose being in the division they're in this year, League Two, in low mid-table, uh, the context of being in the quarterfinal is probably bigger and more of an occasion. But some people were saying, you know, that that playoff last year was a bigger game because yeah. getting back out of that division, which is crippling financially for the certainly for the bigger clubs, uh, and back into League Two, was arguably in the real terms is more more important. Yeah. Um, but obviously, if they happen to win this game and get to a semi final, then they they would certainly have set up their biggest game, I would imagine, ever. Because well, they've been in the semi finals, been in the semi finals of the FA Cup before, so uh... not as a League Two team. Not as a League Two team. No, they were first division. Yeah, they, were league first, team. They, they were a big team in, you know, in yeah. the first division, I suppose. Um, in the, in so the, I didn't realise they were a top flight team until I read it, the equivalent thing earlier. But I was quite surprised at the stat that Russ did about the second, about the League Two sides in the quarterfinals. I'd have, I would have thought there'd be more if I'd been asked. Like five seems quite low. Well, then I suppose eight. You have to remember the fourth tier only started in 1958, so it's not been. Yeah. That long uh, in in, in the age, relation to everything else, so that's part of the reason. But also, as we know, football is focusing more and more on the top flight teams, and uh, the gap yeah. between the top flight and those below is getting wider and wider. So, and that makes it all the more remarkable that uh, Grimsby have got this far this season because it's like 1990, yeah. I think, the last time it happened. So, it's it a stat that I read earlier was something like the, the number of low of non non top flight teams. Since the Premier League started in the in the semi-finals, is is not even half of the number who were in their equivalent years before that. And obviously, there were winners as well around the 80s and 70s. There were quite a few winners from the from what's another championship as well. So, yeah, that was a, that was the golden period for the second tier. That was the eight, the 70s, uh, three three wins in the space of eight years or something. So, and so yeah, but no non no no winner since then, and only a couple of finalists from that level uh, since 1980. So yeah, it's it's tough for them outside the top flight now to get to the final. Yeah, yeah. Um, it feels like more teams are taking it seriously from the top flight, especially in, including the big six. So it's even harder to break into the big six bit from a you know a non you know yeah. kind yeah, of. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say they're taking it any more seriously. The difference is that they've got the squads that their second team yeah. are able to defeat the position from a lower level on most you know ninety nine times out of a hundred. Yeah, and that's where the difference is, rather than the lack of seriousness of how they take it. Um, but yeah, we have had a, a dominance of uh, very few clubs winning the cup over the last twenty years. Yeah. Um, and just uh, really just taking stock of the tournament as a whole, because we haven't had you on this season at all until now. Um, what have you made of the FA Cup this year? I know, by, by the way, you uh, for anyone that doesn't know, uh, Phil covers the FA Vars and the FA Trophy as well on on Twitter. We'll we'll get back into that just when we say goodbye at the end. But in terms of the FA Cup, yeah, uh, it's it's been an intriguing tournament. There's been some great games, hasn't there? Some great upsets, some interesting matchups, and all the rest of it. Uh, what have you made of it, Phil? Well, of course, I've been following it since uh, the beginning of August and yeah. uh, going to watch all the, the local village sides as they uh, set up on a, a different campaign of sorts, if you like, because they're just wanting to uh, be involved in the competition and have that association with the clubs at the top and try and get as far as they can. Um, so it's been quite inter- interesting. It, the Wrexham story was quite interesting because obviously that's going to uh, attract a lot of attention and it was uh, uh, quite 
nice in a way that they were able to do so well this year and, and raised its profile, not just the Vixen, but the competition um, across the board. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people saying that, you know, that we haven't got the big teams in the last eight that we might normally get. And so has that taken the gloss off the competition a little bit? But I don't think so. I, I personally think uh, the more variety you have at this stage, the, the more yeah. interesting the competition is. You know, yeah, I agree. Not, not a foregone conclusion. That's uh, That makes it more of a competition. Yeah. And it's a shame, actually, Wrexham didn't get through another round because I've, I've not been, I'm, I'm a groundhopper, as, as is Peter. We're in the, the 160 sort of numbers in terms of grounds we've gone to. And um, I, I've not, I don't think you've been to Wrexham either, have you, Peter? Yeah. Oh, you have? Okay. So it's just me looking forward to trying to get Wrexham in there. Mind you, I would have been fearing that fixture, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, I went there once for a nil-nil draw, so it wasn't the greatest day. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough, yeah. But it's, yeah, I, I think it's been a really good competition. As you said, you follow it from August onwards, and it must be a fantastic experience, actually, seeing all these tiny clubs that a lot of people would never have heard of uh, in those very early stages, um, because there's what? What is there? Something like how many uh, people enter at the first level? Well, first in, level? in total, there's 732 clubs of wow. competition. You think there's only 92 football league sides, and so therefore you've got 640 uh, smaller teams, some of which obviously in the national league and stuff. But uh, yeah, there's about uh, 300 tight or 230 ties in the uh, in the first or the extra premier round, as it's called. Um, so you know they they know that. They're not going to get very far, and it's just that they love being part of the competition. I think that's that's the thing that stands up for them. The fact that they can say to their family and friends that they've been involved in the same competition as the stars of the top teams at the yeah. now, and if they've scored goals as well, when they when they can they can then claim they've scored more goals than than the famous names in the competition at the end of the day. You know that's uh, that, that that's something they can remember, and. You know, it, it's a it's a nice diversion from the league, and also it's quite a, uh, a lucrative for them, even to win one or two games versus what they might make on a normal match day. The FA Cup can provide quite a good, quite a good income stream if they do a good run. Yeah, they could be playing teams from several divisions above um, at early stages, and those teams may not be very famous either. But in terms of the the prestige for for the for the giant killing side in that scenario. Um, it's still a lot of prestige, a lot, especially if there's a lot of local games that might throw be thrown up. You can get some big crowds. I remember St Albans, Boreham Wood, was it last season? I think, mm-hmm. uh, which had a huge away following, and you know, it's, it's an all non-league game, and you know, you get it throws up all sorts of great, interesting mm-hmm. fixtures, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I think I, I personally think the chairman and chairwomen of the top flight teams and even the managers should go to experience the FA Cup at this earliest stage so they can get an understanding of the love and the feeling and the, and the desire to be part of this competition. And then maybe when they are taking decisions about how they treat the competition themselves, that they'll think of that and realise that for the fans, you know, the FA Cup is still extremely important. And actually, for the players, it's extremely important. Mm. Uh, you know, regardless of the financial side of it, you know, what's the player going to say in his dotage? You know, I've I've got into the Champions League fifteen times, but I never won any medals, or I won the FA Cup. You know, ask Leicester, ask Leicester, they will tell you. Ask yeah. Wigan, you know, the fans there will tell you that the memorable day and fantastic form. Yeah, I know you're a traditionalist, same as I, and we don't like the format being screwed around with. And in terms of the the final, I'm I'm presuming it's on at five o'clock again or something, is it? This and it's a June fixture, but the June fixture element and also the fifth round fixture scheduling element 
do at least have there's there's a bit of a caveat to that, isn't there? Because of course it's because of the World Cup that that's had to be crammed in in that way. Well, the second of June is because of the World Cup, yes, because a lot of things have been extended as a consequence of that. But the fifth round is nothing to do with that. It, it's oh, to do with no, it's to do with um, the Premier League side wanting to have a winter break, and so they needed to find a way of accommodating that with the FA Cup and uh, the. The way that they got around it and imposed, if you like, on the FA Cup is that the fifth round would be a midweek round of a single match, which uh, I think is awful personally because, uh, you know, it demeans the competition. It means one round is treated differently to every other round. And I remember when, you know, other games had to give way to the FA Cup. It was the FA Cup that took precedence. Mm. And uh, now, you know, it's treated all, you know, almost like it, it doesn't matter. And, mm. you know, if you do that to a competition, it's not going to have a long life. So it's really important that it maintains its uh, its standing in the in the football calendar, and that the FA themselves do more to make sure that the competition isn't trodden all over. Uh, it's bad enough we've got VAR at some games and not others. It's bad enough we've got some rounds where they have uh, ex- uh, replays and rounds where they don't, and then we've got games happening in midweek instead of uh, on the weekend. It's just it, it's not good to have those things. If, if you want to keep this competition life, alive, I agree. I think yeah, you've got to keep. I'm sorry. I think I think I don't really have an issue with the final being in June in a way because I think it's much better to have it in June than have it a weekend at the same time as another as Premier League games and stuff. I'd much rather have it after the season separate, even if it means moving into June. Mm-hmm. I don't have the issue with that, but with yeah, fifth round has been yeah screwed up and yeah, it's, it does seem a bit crazy. I think it's Derby Day though on June the second, so that's a bit of a a, a conflict. To, to challenge it. So I don't know what they're going to do with uh, managing that because that's normally run about 4.45 to uh, maximise the uh, in, uh, the viewership across the world. So, you know, they've got two big events happening on the same day. Um, Phil, I don't know if this is a horribly bad omen, but something black and white has just walked into shot in Peter's Zoom <laughs> uh, screen. <laughs> I don't know if this is a bad omen for the Albion on Sunday. <laughs> Eve isn't a Grimsby fan, is she? Peter? That's Sydney. Um, I was just wondering about Eve. Yeah, no, that's right. That's Sydney, I know. He's he, he a Notts County fan. <laughs> Magpies, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, speaking just finally about the Groomsby game, I mean, it, it's been great. They've got the inflatable haddocks. There was a big fuss about the Southampton game. They weren't going to let them in. Then they did let them in. There's all this Harry the Haddock phenomenon thing going on. We've already said that we are allowing them in. We've got a load of inflatable seagulls coming to the game, apparently. And I've been hearing um, through Clive from Fab that um, a TIFO or you know, the, the card-holding mosaic, essentially, at, at the Games is going to be arranged for both ends uh, by the Albion. So there's going to be a, a, a big seagulls mosaic behind the goal, the North Stand. But apparently we've arranged for a, a giant fish um, mosaic behind the away end as well, which will be good fun. Well, I, assume um, you, I assume you've got the seagull going in to eat the fish. And <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, that's, there is a there's almost too good a metaphor, isn't it? You know, seagulls eating haddocks. Um, to be honest with you, maybe we should have arranged it with some fish and chips as the mosaic behind the goal because they seem to prefer that. Just going for the chips, really. But <laughs> <laughs> who, who knows? Who knows what will happen? But it should be a fantastic affair, and um, obviously the chance to get to Wembley. Again, being traditionalists, we'd rather it wasn't until the final that was mm-hmm. at Wembley, but you can understand why they're sticking with it, I suppose. Um, the upside, of course, you know, the, the, the dream for Grimsby and for Blackburn and Sheffield United as well, really, uh, is 
you know, they're just one game away from Wembley. Uh, in the latter two cases, one of them is getting to Wembley for sure. Uh, exciting stuff. Um, we'll know uh, the semi-finalists immediately after the quarter-final at the Amex, by the way. The draw is taking place at the Amex, apparently. Uh, we're hearing so straight after the game. Before the Manchester United game, but yes. Yeah. I don't know why they don't just do it after the Manchester United game, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> well, because of who, who's got the rights to show it, and uh, I think that's probably to do with it. Uh, yeah. The BBC has got the rights, I think. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so be, it'll be, you know, good luck to you guys. You, know, um, you ought to win, but that's football, isn't it? We know that yeah. the do doesn't always come off. And uh, so you've got to be on your game. And, uh, yeah, it should be interesting as a neutral. It should be interesting to watch. Absolutely. The early goal, I think, is key. If we can get an early goal, we can control the game, hopefully. But if we if we don't, the longer it stays nil-nil, the more Grimsby will think we've got a chance. You know, it takes one one shot, one deflection, one corner sort of thing. You never know. if they, if, yeah, Especially if it's an early goal and then they just sit really deep. It's hard to break any team down if they're organised well enough and they'll be certainly up for it. So the motivation and the, the pace of the game in that regard, you know, they'll be quick to us everywhere on the pitch. Yeah, going to be interesting. OK, well, Phil, we won't mention Leeds. I kind of just did, but um, we won't mention Leeds because I know you're suffering at the moment in that regard. Um, but... Yeah. Um, We'll see. We'll see how the Premier League pans out as well. And we got the two-all draw recently. Interesting game. Uh, threw away a couple of leads, but some good goals. Some good goals from Leeds. Um, so uh, an interesting fixture. We'll see what happens with them. They're in action, I assume, at the weekend, unless yeah. their games have been postponed because of the cup. But um, in the meantime, um, just to quickly mention again, as as we always offer the chance to do, your uh, your Twitter feeds and your your various bits. Sell it to the to the listeners. <laughs> Well, if you if you love the FA Cup um, and you love the FA bars, then you should follow my accounts on Twitter. We've got FA Cup Fat File and FA Vars Fat File, and as the names suggest, that they cover the competitions uh, from August all the way through to the finals in uh, May and June, and both uh, are the latter stages of the competition right now, and uh, both extremely very exciting. And I run a blog off WordPress, WordPress off uh, forward slash FA Cup Fat dot com. And I put all my previews and reviews and other stuff all about the football world onto those blogs. So do read those when you can. Excellent. And actually, that's just reminded me very quickly one other thing. Um, the FA Vars, Sussex interest, has been interesting in the last couple of years. We had Little Hampton got to the final last year, didn't they, and lost to Newport Pagnell, which ironically a couple of Albion fans I know live right near there. So that's their local team. Um, mm-hmm. And they were cheering Newport on. Um, and this year, Peacehaven Peace and Telscombe, who've had a really good run, they've won the previous round in a penalty shootout and unfortunately got knocked out at the quarterfinal stage, I think right. it was, uh, last weekend. So there's been a couple of good runs. And I noticed Newport Pagnell have got through to the semi-finals again. Yeah, Could indeed. they retain the yeah. trophy? Yeah, it hasn't happened since uh, Whitley Bay uh, for quite a few years ago now, in the 90s. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head uh, when that happened, but they, they actually won it three years on the top um, when they won the competition. But yeah, it doesn't happen very often. It'd be, I think it's only been retained four times. In its history, yeah, fifty years. A lot of the time, probably it's like the the teams in it, the this stage are probably the ones at the top of the their division, so will often go yeah. up and then not compete the next year, I suppose. Don't they? Yeah, it's one it's one um one particular fact about the Vars that I like to share is that every single time the Vars finals happened, there's always been at least one club that's never been in the final before. Mm. So it's come up to fifty years, and this season guaranteed because you've only got Newport, Pagham Town, who've been in the final before of the final four that are there. 
And I suspect that will continue to happen because, as you say, when they get to the finals, it tends to be because they've had a great season in the league and they get promoted and end up being in the trophy the following season. I think that's a brilliant quality for that tournament, actually, isn't it? It's really good. It means that anyone anyone at the start of the season has as much belief that they could make the final as anyone else. And I think that that is an amazing um, for any competition to have that. Because in anything else, those that start at the beginning normally have absolutely zero chance. Um, Ascot United and um, Caution Town both started their campaigns in the first qualifying round. So they won eight games already to get this far. And, uh, you know, it could be a final between the two of them. Um, hmm. I know. Are they meeting each other? No, yeah, they're meeting each other. So one of them, one of them is going to be in the final, having played in every single round to get there. Wow, that's incredible! Amazing. Colston's the team yeah, that beat. Then, sorry, what level do they play at? They all play at level step five. Um, so that's what ninth tier as far as. But they had to qualify still at that stage. I, I just assumed that it was. They'd be, they'd be lower than that tier. I meant more kind of almost. No, well, the, the Vars is weird in the sense that the first two rounds seem to be done on a draw between the two divisions, and it's a random draw about who gets in. So whether you're level five or level six doesn't mean that, say, you'll start in the first qualifying round or second qualifying round. It's not seeded at all. It's just randomly drawn and you yeah, could get... It's just randomly drawn and you could get a bye as a step, step six side into the second qualifying round. Uh, there is another stage of um, exemptions based upon how teams do in the previous season, and they get held back to the first round or the second round, depending on how far they went the previous season. Um, so if you are step six side, you've got all the way to the court finals last time, you not start this time around until the second round. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks again, Phil, for joining us. So check out those um, those Twitter feeds and other uh, connections. And uh, and uh, you're always great value, Phil. It's always great, great to hear these bits of information. And even not just on the pod, but just through the season, looking on your uh, your Twitter feed and seeing some of the stuff you pop up is always great to see. It creates a lot of interest around what I think are, are great competitions, all three of those. And obviously, in particular, the, the FA Cup, with its amazingly long and hitch, uh, rich history, um, it's, it's great to see, it's great to have somebody doing that. You're doing sterling work, sir. Thank you very much. And the key to the competition is that every season, there's always some story, even though it's been going for 150 years. Uh, there's always a story in the Grimsby one, obviously, they could be the first club ever to make the semi-finals from that level. And Man City, if they get to the semi-final, as most people think they probably would, they would equal the record of most consecutive semi-finals. You know, it'd be the fifth year running that they've achieved that feat. Wow. So, you know, the, the, every year there's always something, which is why I'm, one of the things I'm fascinated about. He's popped another nugget in just at the end there. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> there's always Brilliant. something. <laughs> so thanks again for joining us Phil and we'll, we'll speak to you next time yeah, nice to talk to you guys Cheers. 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 so thanks to um, Phil Annette there that was brilliant to hear from him and as always some interesting stats and um yeah, it's going to be an interesting occasion. These quarterfinals—I always get very excited for the quarterfinal stage, not just because we're in it uh, this year, but in general. I think it's always—it's when you're really getting to the business end, and all the giant killing stuff normally is out of the way. Of course, it might not be this year, but um, but generally, it then becomes the excitement of oh, who's going to get through the final stages, and um, it just—you can—you can feel you can feel the. Uh, it, it becomes tangible, doesn't it? Things are coming to a conclusion. Um, hopefully there won't be a giant killing this year from an Albion point of view. Um, I asked our friend or my friend um, Az, who's a Lincoln City fan, 
whether he would be supporting Grimsby, seeing as their local rivals. Uh, but he is a, he is a purist and a, a fan of the underdog and all that sort of thing. Um, he said, not supporting, but hope they win. He said, as unbearable as it would be for them to go one better and into the semi-finals, because of course Lincoln, as a non-league team, got to the quarterfinals um, a few years ago, beating us along the way. I hasten to add. Um, and was it? Um, I can't remember who got injured. The goalkeeper for us got injured, didn't he? Uh, my empire, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and we had to go for a third choice at the time, which was a bit annoying. But anyway, yeah, so they got to the quarters. Grimsby getting to the semis would be unbearable, he said, but he's still hoping they win, which is quite generous of him. He also went on to say their captain, I think he is, Luke Waterfall, uh, centre-back, was our, our captain for our FA Cup run, interestingly. So that's, there's that. And he said the chances of him doing it twice with a lower league club, pretty small. But um, anyway, um, I sincerely hope that uh, he will be disappointed <laughs> on that matter so that rounds it up peter any further business i think we've covered everything in parts one and two haven't we so um without any further ado we'll sign this one off anyone going to the game uh enjoy it i will be there you're going as well peter i assume yeah in fact we might be meeting for drinks aren't we for this one um so um yes let's hope for a good day fingers crossed there's no slip-ups on our part and uh we can celebrate come sunday evening so until next time stand or fall up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.